This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, can I know we're talking to a group of people that are already uh, very, very educated and ungefilled, a lot of information. See if we can still squeeze something in. Forbidden. I wish yourself. So the topic that we're given to speak about is revealing secrets for the ultimate marriage. So some people came to hear some secrets. And saying the, the secret to a happy marriage remains a secret. And so that's what the secret is about. It's a, a joke about the father marrying off a kid and he tells me, you know, the secret to me and mommy's happy marriage. You know, sometimes at home things get a little stressful, a little tense. So every week we have twice a week that we go out for a walk, an hour of... Uh, fresh air, you know, some time to breathe, and that's the best hours of the week, the best two hours of the week. And someone says, really, I, I never noticed you guys going out together, you know, what? No, I go on Monday, she goes on Wednesday. <laughs> They're the best two hours of the week. But everyone, ha- everyone that has a happy marriage, Baruch Hashem, we should all have, seems to have some kind of secret that's working for them. And, you know, when you use the term secret, it's usually talking about something that someone doesn't know. Now, in, in a... In a in a highly educated generation like we are, everything's available. There are courses, there are shirim, there's self-help books. I myself contributed to the, books, book, to the bookshelf of self-help books. Whatever you want is out there. It's hard to say about any idea that it's a secret. And I'm sure anyone coming here to kind of do any hear speeches, hear ideas, you know, people share nice ideas. There's no, there's no chedishim. I heard this from a few people. You know, I went to a few speeches, you know, there's no chedishim, not hearing anything that you didn't uh, know before, necessarily. And yet, sometimes the ultimate marriage seems, still seems so uh, unattainable for some people. And the question is, is there really a secret at all? Is there something people are missing? And very often, people think they might, they might be missing something that they don't know yet. And that's a big mistake. To think that if only I'll find out something, I'll ask a question, maybe this person has some insight that I don't know yet, and maybe that's what's going to do it for me. Very often people make the mistake of thinking that they're still missing some, some knowledge, some idea. And in most, in most cases, it's not, it's not what it is. And the problem is that sometimes you go to someone, you ask for a piece of advice, and what could I do? My shulmbai is not the way it should be. Or, my neighbor's shulmbai is not the way it should be. How could I help them? Right? And you, you want to come up with something. If someone tells you an idea, very often you'll say, no, that's, that can't be what it is. I, I knew that already. Without realizing that maybe that really is what it is, and that it wasn't being applied properly, maybe it wasn't understood properly yet. So a secret doesn't necessarily mean something that wasn't known as much as something that wasn't either understood or applied properly. Now, just a disclaimer to make sure that everyone feels comfortable over here. I'm not assuming that anyone here is coming to learn any secrets for their own shul and bias. Like I said, I'm sure everyone's doing just fine. Maybe some people want to know if I know the secret to their marriage and they're coming to see if I'm going to give it away. You know, but shul and bias is definitely something that's ongoing and something that we should always be looking to maintain and improve. I mean, Ibish is still, there are definitely things, there are definitely ideas and ideas and pieces of advice that, that, that could help a lot of people. Now, interestingly, sometimes people have too many secrets. Sometimes people have too many ideas. And you see that. Imagine you're trying to get into a locked door and somebody gives you all the keys. Right? You want to get into a door in the Crown Plaza and you go to the front desk, you need a key to, the, to a certain door and they say, sure, you know what, take this whole ring of keys, a thousand keys, I'm sure it's in there. You'll be spending the next three and a half weeks trying to open that door. And that's what happens sometimes when there's no secrets. There's no secrets. 
you can Google anything, you can ask anyone, you'll know everything, and sometimes you know too much, and you don't even know what's going to do it to that relationship, to that situation. And that is what sometimes does remain a secret. What is it that I need to hear? What is it that this situation could use? What is it that me and my wife could do a little better than we're doing? So I'm going to try to share with you a few ideas. To some people, maybe they, are, they were a secret. To some people, maybe they just weren't applied properly yet. And the reason I call them secrets is because these are things that I could find myself telling people in certain situations. You know what? I'll tell you a little secret. And sometimes you see how someone's missing a small piece of advice or a small insight and just not realizing that that's so much, what, so much about what he has to hear. So a guy comes to me and he tells me, you know, I know you deal baker with the chinuch, shulam bayis, but I know you help people personally as well. I'm not a happy person. Maybe you could help me. I said, okay, let's hear a little about what's going on. Maybe you could share with me, you know, what's, 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 tell me. I'll tell you, shulam bayis is not great, but I already made peace with that. I already made peace with the fact that my marriage is not what it, what, it, what it could be, what it should be, what I wanted it to be, and that's fine. But if I made peace with it, then I think I should be a happy person because, you know, other things in life are fine. Bokshem, the kinder zenav oil, panusagaitgan's fine. And for some reason, I just, I just, I don't know, I don't, I don't have any mood, I'm just never, in, in, you know, I'm never feeling good about myself. And I told him, you know what, I'll tell you a little secret. Okay, this is secret number one. If you're not happily married, you're not happily anything. If you're not happily married, you're not happily anything. Some people assume that the Shulam is just another one of the things that they have to deal with. It's another one of the things that it would be great if we could do something about it. And if not, then I'll, I'll go on my own. You know, Say, before a person gets married, he's incomplete. Once he's married, he's finished. You know, sometimes we assume that you, know, you want to get married, and then we'll see what happens after that. And sometimes if it doesn't work, it's worse than it was before. Now you're finished. You're not just incomplete. And that's the truth. As much as people want to get married, as much as people assume that things will be better afterward, you can't go back to what it was before then. Because before you're married, you still have the Aitzah of Gebin Zechan on your own, as much as you, you, you know, you're not feeling the way you really would have wanted to be. But now that you are married, you have to make it work. It's a whole different story. Chazal teach us that by the time you're married, it's a plagifa. Now already you're two people, but you're sharing something. And you can't be happily married. You can't be happy being only a half. So if it's incomplete, then there's a certain incompletion that's always going to affect you. He was going back and forth in the hospital. His wife wasn't feeling well. I saw that he was a tzatrugen. He was a tzatrugen. He tells me, he's going to be a book. And you think about it, when things are good and it's a plagifa, but there's two halves and you're making a hole, then things are fine. And if you're not making that hole, then it's always going to be there. You can never ignore it and you won't be happy with anything else in your life. And there's a reason why Chazal teach us, and maybe the Mamura Chazal seem to point out something about having a bad wife, but it's probably the same way around, both ways. Somebody has a wife. Okay, so there's ideas about how to interpret that, why he thinks it's like that, or why he feels like that. But not being happily married, why? Because he had it in this world. Not being happily married is not a life. And such a person is not happily anything. And that's why it's so important when it comes to something, this is my first little secret over here, 
that if anything about your shulam bias could use improvement. If anything about your marriage could, you know, could, could use some fixing, don't ignore it. Don't push it under the rug. Don't say, you know what, when I have time, when I'm finished dealing with my kids' homework, when I'm finished paying off the mortgage, and when I'm finished dealing with my brother who's mixing up with something else, then I'll, I'll tend to my marriage. I know my wife's not so happy about things. I'm not either. But for the meantime, it's good. It's not good. And interestingly, you know, there's the famous bruches that we give. We have to it sounds like that's all we need, right? We don't mention anything about Shulun Ba'is over there. What happened to Shulun Ba'is? Is that not as important as Gzint Panus and Naches? And he tells me, We want people to be able to enjoy life, be able to enjoy their Gzint and the Panus and the Naches. They, they have to be happily married. And I once heard this from somebody who's been helping people for many years, and he tells me, you know, with a lot of problems that people deal with, from the seemingly mild till the severe, you know, a lot of different levels of challenges people have. When it comes to shulun bias, it's a whole new story. Why? When you're not happily married, the mild problems become big ones. And I heard this so many times, just this Shabbos alone. I had an issue with my son, I had an issue with my daughter, but since then, me and my wife are not on the same page anymore. So here you go. A small problem, a relatively small problem that could have been dealt with in a healthy way, in a, in a pretty simple way, became a Shulam Ba'is issue, or the Shulam Ba'is wasn't good. So this is a major issue. It's another, it's another place to fight about. It's another place not to get along. It's another, it's another piece of friction in a relationship. As opposed to when two people are happily married and on the same page. And the same page means the same page. Not like somebody told me uh, lately, things are much better, me and my wife are on two different pages, but in the same book already. You know? When you're on the same page, then even... Unfortunately, severe situations, big problems that people deal with, but two people are dealing, dealing with it together. Because I'll teach us, two people can lift more than two individuals together. Two people together can lift more than two individuals combined. So when you two people together, even big problems could be so much more manageable. And when two people are not together, even small problems become so much more intolerable. So that's the first little secret. If anyone's wondering why their shulam bias is affecting them personally so much, or why they may not be happy, even just on a personal level, it might have to do with the fact that if you're not happily married, you're not happily anything. So let's go to secret number two. And I think each one we could really expound upon for 45 minutes straight, but I'll try to get to as many as we could. And whichever we don't get to will remain a secret. So let's go to secret number two. This I hear from people all the time, so I can't even relate to one incident where people tell me, I see a different couple, I see my, my married siblings, or I see my neighbor doing this, doing that, and I, for some reason I can't get it done. I want to go somewhere, my wife doesn't let me, I want to buy something, she's not interested. And the other way around, women complaining about the men, and comparing, comparing notes, looking at other people, which is not something we should be doing. And so often it causes challenges in people's marriages. Look, look what someone else is doing. And sometimes you'll hear it in a, in a different way when someone's complaining. I tell my wife something, she goes crazy. I said the same thing to other people, they're just fine. Why is that? I'm a nice guy, people like me. I heard this today from somebody about Asida. I get along with everyone. I have no problem with anyone. At home, I can't Why is that? So I'll tell you a little secret, okay? Secret number two. Everybody's different. Very short secret. Everybody's different. And when it comes to relationships, when it comes to interpersonal relationships with human beings, real ones, everybody's different. It's not the herd mentality, like my animals in the barn. 
you know, this works, that works. What do we do? Try. So secret number two is that everybody's different. Everybody's different. And this affects both ideas that I just mentioned. What works for one couple may not work for another couple because everybody's different. And you can't compare. And something that you heard somebody doing or something that helped a couple or something that worked for someone else may not work for you. Don't even wonder why. That's l'chatchil azoy. Somebody, something that worked between you and someone else may not work between you and another person. Don't even wonder why. Because everybody's different. Everybody has their own language. Everybody has their own way of relating. Everybody has their own way of expressing themselves. And what works for one person doesn't work for someone else. And this is a little secret that answers so many riddles and so many questions that people grapple with and can't understand. I can't wrap my head around it. So long already, I'm doing something. Everyone appreciates what I do, just not my spouse. That's, that's, that's no question at all. I once quoted a professor, Glauberman, a professor, intelligent guy, obviously Jewish, and he, he writes something very interesting. So when you categorize topics, there's three categorizations. There's the simple, there's the complicated, and there's the complex. He was talking, I think, about teenagers, if I'm not mistaken. The simple is something that's relatively simple, like baking a cake. Right? How do you bake a cake? You look at the paper, you put in some ingredients, you mix it together in whatever order it is, you put it in, in the oven at a certain temperature, you take it out at a certain time, and there you go, that's the cake. You do it on Sunday, on Monday, you do it in this house, do it in that house. It's relatively simple, right? Simple steps. And it's always going to bring about the same results, more or less. That's called something simple. And there are many topics, many things in life that are simple. You do this, you want to turn on your phone. How do I turn on my phone? You do it, you just ask your kid, they know how. Turn it on, oh, it got locked. Ask your kid, he knows the password. It's relatively simple and it works every time. Then there's something called complicated. What's complicated? Complicated is something that, you know, relatively um, could bring about the same results, but it's complicated. And the example he gave was sending up a spaceship to the moon. Okay, you want to send up a spaceship to the moon, it's complicated. Now, I never tried it, but... It's complicated simply because there's a lot of different factors, a lot of different things that have to happen, a lot of things sinking and working together. So it's complicated. But it's not terribly complicated because there's still a certain, um, um, list of how to, there's a certain list of steps how to do it. You do this, and you do that, and you do this, and you do that. And by the time you get to the 20th thousandth thing that has to be taken care of, the spaceship goes to the moon. Nobody has to guess what's going to happen. They wouldn't send it up if they didn't know where it's going. It's complicated, but there's a way to do it. And there are things that are less complicated than sending spaceships to the moon, like making a Shabbos Karaftuni. It's complicated, but there's ways to make it happen. If you want to know how, you can learn how. Go find out from somebody who did it. And then there's the complex. What's the complex? Raising a teenager. Now, why is that so complex? Because there's no way to do it. There's no way to do it. You can't ask someone, oh, you raised a healthy teenager? Yeah, a few already. So you know, that you know how to do it? I have no clue. Why not? Well, I could tell you what I did for one, but it didn't work for the next. Not only is it complicated, but it's not straightforward either. The, the results are going to vary. There's so many factors. There's no way of knowing how, what's going to happen. It's step by step, each one different. Slowly you find yourself somewhere you don't even know how you got there. Right? That's called complex. So there's the simple, there's the complicated, and the complex. When it comes to real life, when it comes to real people, when it comes to relationships, it's complex. And the reason it's complex is not so much because it's a secret, as much as because what works for one person doesn't work for someone else. So whenever you're left wondering... Why what worked for someone else's marriage, or why what worked in a different relationship is not working here, it's simply because people are different. 
And that's a secret you have to remember. Everybody's different. Don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated when you find that someone else is different than you. Don't get frustrated when you, what I'm doing is so normal and my spouse can't relate to it. It's so funny because she's saying the same thing. It's fine that everybody's different. You may be saying one thing and she may be hearing someone, something else. Right? I mentioned this example often. Just yesterday we were talking about chinuch and children. Right? Talking about the Dara Flug. I often give this example. And all of a sudden people are killing each other. What does that mean? When you talk to someone in Spanish, does he kill you? When someone comes over to you and he talks to you in Polish or Hungarian, does he, do you kill him? What happened? You mix up the language and people kill each other? Somebody asks you for a hammer, you hit him over the head or you say, I didn't get that, what do you say? And the answer is that sometimes languages are mixed up, but we think we understand each other. What means, what means a compliment to me means an insult to you. What means a favor to me means a demand to someone else. That's complex. When you're saying one thing and someone else is hearing something else, and you have to learn the language. You have to learn from your mistakes. You have to learn from where you went wrong and how something was taken wrong. And instead of saying, there must be something wrong with her. I'm saying it the right time. I'm saying it for so long the right time. I said it so many times the right way and she still didn't get it. Maybe it's time to come up with what does work? What does she understand? What does work for him? What does he appreciate? Maybe he's a little different than me. And it's okay. And hearing people complain about what's going on in the Shulam bias, and so often you see it's mom is just, you know, you have to accept that somebody else is different. And when you get that little secret and you apply it to your relationship, so many things become simpler, so many things become more acceptable, so many things become more tolerable. And that's why sometimes people look back and they think that if their parents didn't get along, they should not be getting along. If their parents did get along, then they should be cruising along. And it doesn't work like that in real life. So remember, secret number two. If anything about your marriage looks a little complicated or complex, then it might be because everybody's different. And what works for someone else may not work for you. And it's kadai sometimes to either figure it out on your own, to think about it, or to ask someone, right? Let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you uh, what I tried, what's not working. Maybe you could help me. Maybe you could figure out what's, what, you know, what, what this person that I that I'm married, what she understands, or how she feels, or what she may be thinking, something totally different than anything that I can relate to. So let's do secret number three. Now secret number three is... Um, a two-part secret, and for some people the first part is a secret, for some people the second part is a secret. Okay? So let's put it like this. And I find myself telling this to people often. Let me tell you a little secret. After hearing a, a challenging situation, after hearing about a relationship that's going on for a long time, that's very not good, and a guy is saying, no, it's fine, I mean, this is normal, right? I mean, you hear this all the time, right? I hear drushas, everyone's fighting all the time, man. let's not kid ourselves. Marriage is complicated. Right? Nobody, nobody's really happily married anyway. I hear, I hear people saying this, brilliant remarks. And then sometimes you hear someone coming after 12 years of being happily married and coming saying, I don't know what happened. I thought we were married so happily. We got into this little disagreement about something. And that's the end of the story. So nothing else coming? So let me tell you a little secret. It's okay, I'm going to say it a little bluntly. It's okay for a married couple to fight occasionally, but it's not okay to be consistently in fight mode. Now the word fight is like for little kids, you know, a fight mamach. So let's, let's try to make that sound a little more uh, diplomatic. The little secret is that when it comes to real life and marriage, right, um, chances are that things won't always be consistently, amazingly simple and working, working themselves out on their own on their, uh, all the time. Probably not. And it's okay. So that's a little secret. In other words, for some people, when they, get a little, when they see that something's not working... Whether it's because they had very high expectations and they just got married. Whether it's because they, they like when things are always cruising and they can't um, handle any bumps in the road. Or they don't know how to transition into something that's a little difficult. 
it's important to remember, it's okay. You're two people. You each have a way of thinking, each have a way of feeling, each have your own opinions, each have your own preferences. It's okay if sometimes they don't agree. It's even okay if sometimes you get a little frustrated and you still remain human. But it's not okay if it's going on all the time. And if you find yourself in a bumpy situation time and time again, and you think, it's okay, that's probably how it's supposed to be, I'm sure everyone's like that, you know, let's just, let's be real, and think that that's how it's supposed to be, it's not supposed to be that way. So obviously we have to define the word uh, fight correctly. Obviously, you know, small friction and big friction and big disagreements and small complications, you have to define everything and make sure you know that what you're dealing with is within bounds. But sometimes people get used to, you know, loud arguments and a lot of uh, cold shoulder and silent treatment. And yeah, it happens about once every two weeks. It's not so gefährlich. And you have to know that sometimes things aren't, aren't the way they should be. And they say a story about the kehillah, that they, they couldn't get along about the minig, about the menhugim and the kehillah. Every time someone was saying Kaddish, half the people would get up. And the other people would say, sit down, sit down. Kaddish, m'shtaynish ba Kaddish. The other guy screaming, oh, get up, get up. M'shtaynish ba Kaddish, m'shtaynish ba Kaddish. This is going on for a long time. Until, you know, everyone just got fed up already. And the roof decided he has to make some kind of, some kind of truth over here. What do we do? So he took a few people from both sides. He said, let's go visit in the old age home. There's a guy 100 years old from this Kehillah, from way back when, from the early members. Let's ask him what we do. Okay, makes sense. He'll decide what we do, and then we'll all, have, we'll all, we'll all live happily ever after. They go to the old age home, and they meet this guy. and says, from the Kehillah, gedenks. So let me tell you what's going on over here. Every time someone says Kaddish, how do people get up? He said, no, no. You see, you see? So he said, okay, so let me tell you. The other half of people, they, they, they stay sitting by Kaddish. So they're looking at him and saying, so what do we do? So we'll tell you what goes on the shield. Or half the people start screaming, get up. And half the people start screaming, get down. Sometimes, when there's friction, it almost looks like it's normal. It's okay, and same thing the other way around. And sometimes people think that it's normal. It's not normal. If you're not seeing eye to eye with somebody that you're married, somebody you're trying to raise children with, somebody you're trying to build a bias them and be a throw with, somebody who you're trying to have the Doris Yishurim of Aruchim and have what they should look up to and have how to see respect for husband and wife. That's not a way to do things. Now, is it terrible if once in a while we don't agree on something? Of course not. You still will always remain two people, and don't be disappointed if you see that that's not the way. And more than that, don't think you'll get into a routine where all of a sudden things will work themselves out. And that's part of this little secret over here. It's okay if occasionally there's bumps, and that's because in relationships you're dealing with real-life people, real-life situations. A relationship needs tending to. Don't think... That, okay, so I'll give the compliments coming home from Karaftuni. We'll spend a month giving all the positive energy, normal criticism. We'll give a lot of healthy uh, compliments, give a lot of attention. And, we'll do, and after a month, they say it should work. And it should work. It should work. I had a guy come back to me, tells me, you know, you gave me a lot of ITSIS. And they were working for a while, but then they stopped working. I said, okay, I have no lifetime warranty on it, but let me hear what you were saying. And you gave me a bunch of ideas, and I was trying them for a few weeks, and they were working, but then, you know, and then it, st- it stopped working. I said, what stopped working? No, I, I wasn't really doing it anymore because I figured that I already tried it, but then I saw that it, wasn't, it didn't have any long-term results. It doesn't work like that. If you compliment your wife for a, for a month and she behaves for a month, then that's good results. That, that's long-term results. Because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. 
Now, if you make your husband feel like a king for a month, and he's treating you nicely for a month, that's long-term results. And if you stop that after a while, and it stops working, it's like everything else in life. Everything stops working when you stop working it. Nothing works forever. And that's, what I, that's why occasionally, when there's a bump in the road, it's okay. It means that maybe it's real-life people who may not be agreeing on everything, and maybe somewhere you neglected something you should be doing. So take it as a message. Somebody got insulted, somebody got offended, somebody's hurt. Maybe you didn't do something you were supposed to. Take it as a message and learn from it. Don't get frustrated. It's normal. That's a little secret. It's okay once in a while to have a bump, and it's not okay to do that consistently. Now let's go to another secret, and this is a communication secret. And it's something I find myself telling people when they tell me something like, you know, I don't know, I, I told my wife something very nicely, and he's repeating words, the, the words that he used, and she took it totally wrong. I'm not sure why. Or I could even have a Oibachokim tell me sometimes, you know, they said by the Shabbos, you should never tell your wife that she looks tired. I told her the other day she looks tired, she had no problem, she went to bed and took a nap. <laughs> you see? So let me tell you a little secret. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. Remember this. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. You could say the right words. You could put an older chachmi you need to say what you're supposed to say and say it the wrong way. You say it in the wrong tone. You say it at the wrong time. And it's not going to be taken the right, and it's not going to be taken well. And you can say the wrong thing, but you said it nicely, or you said it at the right time. And you said it in a nice tone. And you, and you meant it genuinely, and it could be taken just fine. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. If you complain about something, and you say it in the right way, and you tell someone, and I was helping a lot of you a lot over the Shabbos, just wording things. Listen, say it like this. The complaint may not sound so gishmak, and your wife doesn't like when you complain, and your husband doesn't like hearing when you're mitzvah. But if you say it like this, I'm sure you didn't mean anything. I may have taken it totally wrong. I'm not expecting you to fam It's fine. I just wanted to share with you how I felt about something. Maybe we'll go over just smoothly. The same thing. You mentioned the same exact complaint, but you said it the right way. So it's not what you say. It has so much to do with how you say it. Now, it's true that sometimes two people look at the same thing and see something totally different, right? And sometimes you will mean something right and even say it the right way and somebody will take it the wrong way. And that's part of life. People interpret things differently, like we said before. Everybody's different. That was secret number two. You know, I say a story about this shrigger who was complaining. My son married, a, married this girl. I don't know, it's terrible with her. I said, really? What's, what's going on? That was a sympathetic listener. What's happening over there? I don't know, she sleeps late and he has to come home and take care of the kids. And then she finally gets up and leaves the house and the whole house is a wreck. So he has to come in the middle of the day and clean up. Finally she comes home and she's overwhelmed. She doesn't even make supper. He comes home and he's running, trying to run the house and she's busy telling him to, to either take her out to a restaurant or order some food. Mamish, terrible relationship. And like, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, but my son, but, but my, my, what did you say? No, no, no. My, my, my son married this girl who's causing him all these problems. But my daughter, she married a saint. Mama Shatzadik. She, she's very overwhelmed, so she sleeps late and he takes care of the kids. Mama <laughs> She goes out late, you know, she can't run the house, but he comes home and cleans it up. Then sometimes when she comes home, she's overwhelmed, so she goes to sleep. But then he comes home and he, he takes her out to a restaurant by night. You know, you can't always win, but you know, it evens out. You can see the same situation sometimes and interpret it totally differently. And sometimes you'll say something in a nice way I mean it nicely, and somebody will take it wrong. But very often, you'll see that it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And sometimes you'll be fighting over what was said. 
you did say you didn't say. I didn't mean I didn't mean. You know I meant it. I didn't know you mean it. How am I supposed to know? You always say that. And if you think before you say something, you could say almost everything. And I tell this to people all the time. You could say almost anything if you say it the right way. If you make sure there's no hint of criticism. If you make sure you're not. If you make sure it doesn't sound like you're looking down at anyone. If you make sure that it doesn't sound like you're complaining. You're just sharing something. And you make sure that it's being taken right. You can say almost anything. I bring, bring almost anything to someone's attention in a way that they'll take you seriously and avoid it in the future. And then you'll have opportunity to be so thankful and appreciative and say, wow, it means so much to me that you heard me and took me seriously. And if you don't know how to do that, you can say something and really not mean anything and somebody could be offended. So that was secret number four. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. You know, the, the old uh, Tata Shikma Hoizen, right? The guy gets a letter, Tata Shikma Hoizen, he's all bright because of the way his son is saying it. And he just needed someone to word it differently. Or just the tone, say it differently. So sometimes it has to do with the way you say it, or the wording, or the preface, or the time, or the tone. You know, and a lot has to do with the time. You know, a lot has to do with the time that people say things. People try to say things at the wrong time. In a challenging moment, when someone's doing something wrong, and you point it out, no, I don't like when you do that. Not now. Now someone's going to get defensive or feel challenged. So remember, it's not... What you say, it's how you say it. Let's go on to secret number five. You know, Dodam al Secret number five. Secret number five is something that I find myself telling people very often. When people are complaining about situations, and they're saying it doesn't make any sense. And I hope the women don't get offended every time I start complaining about a person telling me about, about uh, complaining about their wife. I happen to only take uh, men... So a lot of the complaints I hear about women, but I know that it goes both ways. So let's try to turn this one around a little. Right? You have a woman complaining, I don't know what's with my husband, I tell him something, and he gets all upset, and I show him that it doesn't make sense why that he just got upset, and he gets even more upset. I try to explain to him that what he's doing with the children doesn't, doesn't work, and it's wrong, and whatever, and he just gets even more angry, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. He's an intelligent person, I don't know what happened to him. You know, he walks into the wall, and all of a sudden there's no one to talk to anymore. So let me tell you a little secret. Relationship struggles don't make sense. Now remember this. This is very deep. Relationship struggles don't make sense. That's secret number five. When you think about a struggle in a relationship, so often people are justifying uh, interpersonal conflict. People aren't getting along. And you have someone explain it. You know why they're not getting along? I'll tell you why. Because, and you can have a list of 25 reasonings, Either because of the home he grew up in, or because of the stressful situation he's dealing with now, or because of uh, all the implications that this argument has, or because... It's not the reason. It's not the reason. I've seen beautiful Shalom of people that come from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different ways of thinking, a lot of different things that come together and they make sense. You know why they make sense? Let's first talk about the ones that, do make, that, that, that are good and show how that makes sense. It doesn't make sense to fight. Remember this. Very simple idea. It doesn't make sense to not get along with someone. I've never seen a conflict that made sense. And I've seen a lot of conflicts, a lot of different ones. Right? You're talking about a Yerisha, five million dollar Yerisha, nobody's talking to each other anymore, the Megatnish of Simchis, and everyone's Broigis. Makes sense, right? It's a lot of money. It doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Because logically, everyone understands, unless they're dealing with that situation, personally, that, well, let's work this out. Everyone will be happier if we work this out. Yeah, but there's so much money involved. Still, everyone will be happier if we work this out. But we come from different backgrounds, we have different views. Still, everyone will be happier if we work this out. 
So even if in your house they did it like this, in my house they did it like that, we could either compromise, or one of us at Nuh gave them, it makes sense to get along. Logically, it makes sense to get along. As a matter of fact, most people who will explain a situation that they're involved in, or even if they explain a situation that somebody close to them is involved in, and it makes a lot of sense to them, the struggle and the, and the conflict, when it comes to a different situation, they're not involved in personally, or they don't have any emotional connection to it, they'll almost laugh at it. <laughs> Why is that? Because it doesn't make sense to not get along. Everyone will benefit when people get along. And I've seen people, like I said, get along from different backgrounds where it, it, it looked like all odds were against them. And for some reason they decided that for the sake of themselves to have a happy life, for the sake of the children, for the sake of the business, for the sake of the community, they'll get along. So what is it that gets in the way of people's not getting along? Why would people do things that doesn't make sense? So let me tell you something, and I'll, I'll do it a little briefly. It's a much bigger idea. And we're only on secret five, we have to get till ten. Logic is something we share. Right? One plus one equals two. In every language, in every culture, no matter where you're going to go, at every age, one plus one equals two. It's a logical thing. It makes sense. Nobody's going to debate it. Your opinion about something, how you feel about something, uh, how, you, how much you did or didn't like Shabbos Karaftuni, or how, you did, how much you did or didn't like uh, a taste of a certain food, or what you think about what's right and wrong, it's not logic anymore. So much of that is all emotional. How you feel, we don't share emotions. We share logic, we don't share emotions. Anything that's strictly logical, we will agree on. Anything that's emotional, we already will have different emotions about it. We'll feel differently. So when me and you look at um, couple A and B, we might see the same thing logically, and agree even, that logically it makes sense that they should get along. They can't see that logically, because to them there's so much emotions involved. When people are emotionally challenged, they won't see things logically anymore, and they'll do things that don't make sense. When you scream at your child... Right? You will justify it, you'll explain it, sometimes you'll feel bad about it, then you'll, you'll be a little self-critical, and then you'll validate, you know, because you're, you're feeling about it, and you think you're being mechanichim, and it's so important to scream at him. And when somebody else will do the same exact thing, you'll see, hey, that didn't make any sense, that was a bad chinuch move. Why? Because it's only logic, no emotions. We're all emotional beings, we all get emotional at times, we all have our emotions get in the way of our seeing things logically. Some people more than others. Some people more than others. Some people are more sensitive than others. Some people are more conflict prone than others. Some people will take things more personally than others. So it could very well be that you'll get along with one person very well, and this has to do with secret number two, that everybody's different, and with, with a different person you'll say the same thing, it won't be taken the same way because that person is taking it more emotionally and more sensitively than someone else. And the biggest mistake you could do is to try to debate and explain and use logic and rational thinking to show how wrong that person is for feeling that way. Now that person is going to argue back and not say, but I feel differently. They'll say, but I disagree with you. And that's because a person who's feeling an emotional challenge doesn't realize that it's only emotional. The emotions hijack the logic, and now it makes sense. So when you tell your child, for example, right? Now, what just happened? He's debating you. He's not saying, but feel his feeling is taking over his logic. And every situation that I see, that I deal with, and that I, I observe, where people aren't getting along, it doesn't make sense to fight. There's no sense in logic to it. It's not rational. It's all emotional. And the reason why that's so important to understand is because people try to make sense out of it. People debate it. People just get deeper and deeper into something that they should have gotten out, out of right away. You, you, you dig yourself a ditch that you can't come out of. When you try to disprove somebody's emotions... 
they get even more emotional, more defensive, and it becomes harder for them to see things straight. When somebody's complaining to you and you say, you know, you always complain. I always complain. You know how many times I didn't complain? You know how many times I'm busy schlinging and asking the gazint, and that's called always complaining? Now, it could be that you're right that they always complain, but by saying that, they got even more sensitive and more, more challenged and more defensive and thinking to themselves more ways to justify their own behavior. As opposed to when you hear someone getting a little emotional or a little stuck or a little st- stubborn about something, you say, whoa, I hear you. Thank you for sharing it with me. You know, I'll try to deal with it. I understand you now better. Let's see if we can work things out. And you make that person feel understood and validated. All of a sudden, you take all the air out of the balloon. The lift that goes from the radar. The emotions go down. And slowly, somebody could even come across and tell you, you know, I understand that you didn't mean it. It's amazing how when you try to prove yourself more and more, you're just busy getting more and more resistance. And when you show that you understand, you don't, you don't give in and say, you're right, I was wrong, necessarily. But you do show someone that you understood them, whether it's a child or an adult, anyone who's, getting, who's having their emotions take them over and, and responding sensitively to something that you didn't mean, but you understand it, and you don't, you don't try to resolve it logically, you'll see things could become so simplified and, and, and worked out. There's a saying I heard from my good friend, Dr. David Lieberman. I don't remember who he was quoting, but he said, if you treat kids like adults and adults like kids, you'll have good relationships. Now, it's a very, very well-said line. I'll just explain it for a minute. Sometimes we treat kids like kids, and they don't like it. I'm not a baby anymore. You want to treat them like an adult? Take me seriously. Listen to me. Take into consideration what I'm asking for. So you have to treat kids like adults. But sometimes you have to treat adults like kids. You're dealing with an adult, somebody who should be an intelligent person, and they're saying something stupid. And you're so tempted to say, you, you, don't, you don't have what you sound like. Can I record you? Yeah, go ahead. What, what's happening? You're trying to make sense out of somebody who's being emotional and let's call it childish. Because we see children as being emotional not making sense. And you treat adults like children and take them seriously. And you have great relationships. So that's secret number five. Relationship struggles don't make sense. Don't try to make sense out of them. And don't try to resolve them using logic. Secret number six. Yeah, we're ready? Secret number six. And this is something that I, I find myself telling people when they refer to a situation where I'm not so happy in my shulam bias, my marriage is not the way I want it to be, but it's fine as long as she's happy, I don't, I don't even care, I made peace with it. So I'll tell you a little secret. And this is to some people a secret. I don't like to generalize, and I want to be taken right. But let me tell you a little secret. If you're not happy, neither is your spouse. If you're not happy, neither is your spouse. Chances are that if one person is not happy in a relationship, the other one's not too happy either. Maybe not as unhappy, but not happy. And if you're going to ignore things based on the premise that, you know what, it's only me, she looks fine. You, you might very well be fooling yourself. I had a very interesting experience this week. A guy comes to me, and he's complaining about a business relationship. Okay, as long as it's under, under the topic of relationships, I try to deal with it. He starts telling me about a business. He wasn't even getting too specific, but just the business model he was describing. I opened a, I opened a business a few years ago, together with a guy, and we were going to run it a certain way. And over the years, a little tension here and there, and slowly I became more and more involved, and he became less involved, and... And as he's saying this, I'm thinking to myself, I heard the story already once. I heard the story already once. He's going on saying different things about how, how unhappy he is. It's so hard to work with this partner and they're not getting along. And it's getting so stressful and it's all under the carpet. But I heard the story once. 
And I see that in the middle of July, same exact story. Somebody's telling me about a business that he opened with a partner and the relationship's getting stressful. Same amount of years, same kind of business, same way it's working. And it, it, it zoomed home, such an interesting point. If you're not happy about something, neither is the other person in the relationship. His partner came to me just two months ago. He heard me on Komavasa talking about relationships. He called me up and he told me whole rundown how unhappy he is in this relationship. It's all under the rug. I never discussed with my partner. Or even git. Now his partner, Pink, had a friend who came to me about a certain chinech issue. And he decided to come to me. Same story. He's not happy with his partner. And that's how it is in almost every relationship. If you're not happy, neither is your spouse. Don't push things under the rug assuming, you know what? I could deal with it. I'm thick-skinned. I'm more tolerant. And, and, and my spouse is happy. It's not that way. So speak up and say something. Now don't turn it into a conflict. Don't turn it into something it wasn't. But don't think that you can ignore it and it's just going to go away. Besides the fact that when you're unhappy about something, it's already a reason to address it. Nobody deserves to be unhappy. Nobody deserves to suffer. Nobody deserves to, to fool themselves that, okay, it's fine, it'll work itself out, and then six years later, you're dealing with something much bigger and more resentful and, 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 uh, and, and more complicated. The very fact that you're not happy already says that someone else is also not happy. It doesn't mean that you have to go together for help. It doesn't mean you have to turn it into a bigger issue than it is. But it means that it should be addressed and, and, and don't fool yourself. As a matter of fact, you, you don't know how often something's bothering you, and it may be bothering your spouse, the very fact that it's not being mentioned. Let me explain what that means. It could be bothering you, and you're not saying anything, assuming that it's not bothering someone else. Not only is it bothering your spouse, it's actually bothering your spouse, the fact that it doesn't bother you. Now, that's not a complaint. I want to qualify. Nobody has a right to be bothered by the fact that you don't, you're not bothered by something as much as I am. That's very wrong. It's very wrong to have a complaint about someone. Why don't you think the exact same way I do? Why don't you feel the way I do? Right? Everybody's different. But just, just realize that machna shwag and ignore something, not only is it that somebody else is suffering just as much, but sometimes they can actually be bothered by the fact that it's not being fixed. And there's something you could do about it. So try to deal with it instead of ignoring it. Secret number seven. Like I said, everything can be elaborated on, but I'm just trying to give a few ideas that I hope people will be able to apply to their own relationships and see which one might be the little key out of that big key ring that could do something for their relationship. Sometimes people talk to me about different situations and, you know, it's justified when something's bothering you and and we don't, we don't see eye to eye about this and about that, it's a coming issue now. And I tell people a little secret that they don't like hearing. And the secret is that sometimes you're best off giving in. Sometimes you're best off not saying anything. So many things become an issue because again and again you have to, you have to mention where you disagreed on something. Now, I'm not, I'm not um, advocating people being controlled and, and being fearful and not to say my opinion. But sometimes you're doing it so often that it's causing so much friction in the relationship that everything's becoming an issue. And you'd be better off giving in. You know about the couple that came to the marriage counselor and they say, you know, uh, he said, what's the problem? Why are you here when you get married? We got married just a mamish two months, but, but from the beginning, we're just not getting along. Uh, mamish, it's, it's stressful the whole time. He said, really? How long is that going on? He said, six weeks. Seven. She corrects him. Sometimes people don't let a little thing go by without, without saying something. And if only you let it go by, and it's fine, and it's not really a big deal. It's not really a big deal. It's fine. And people get stuck in it, assuming that if I don't say something now, I'll never be able to say anything. Right? Then I'm, be, I'm being controlled. I was told not to be controlled. It's not called being controlled when you let someone get away with something. 
When you let someone decide something and you don't even speak up and you say, you know what, it's fine, I'm okay with it. You don't have to have an opinion about everything. And if you do, you don't have to voice it always. You'd be surprised how many things look to people so, so important and really, they're so trivial. I had an interesting experience with Hamid Gal, Metaruv, Olgumachta Bismadish. You know, Aruv, Machta Vanai Bismadish the first time. So I'm going to ask Elter Aruv, Elter Yid, Eir Shemaim, Adastoir, Agit Yid. Do you have any advice for me? I'm opening a kehillah. So I'll tell you some advice. And I remember when this happened, before it played itself out, the brilliance, and the Chachma, and the Torah, the Torah, the Geblik. So when you become a Ruv, you're going to have a kehillah, people are coming to you. For the first two years, two years is a long time. For the first two years, don't say anything. Don't say anything. You'll see people doing things, you'll see people saying things, you'll see people doing, doing you what you don't like, you have what to say, for two years say nothing. Now at the time, when I heard it, I thought what it meant was, that if you want to have a kehillah, and you want to have people coming to you, you can't attack them right away. So for two years you say nothing, right? That would be a nice chus and kala advice. But it's much more than that. When two years go by, you realize that it wasn't so important to say in the first place. So often when people are tempted to say something, just, just make that mental, mental decision that, that uh, you, know, you know what, let me wait. Let me wait. You'll never regret not having said something. Almost never. Now of course if it's a big thing and you're afraid to say something, that's a different issue. We're talking about sometimes you're best off not saying anything. And that's definitely something that a lot of people could apply to these situations where they get stuck on such trivial things. And again, to them it may not be trivial. They're looking at it emotionally. But logically, when you think about it, and you say, you know what, maybe secret number seven applies to me. Maybe I'm best off not saying anything. You'll see how much friction you could avoid. How much relationship you could build. How many more opportunities you have to see eye to eye. How many more, how many more uh, areas you could agree on. And then all of a sudden there's, there's a relation, there's a connection. There's something that we do together and we share. And now when it comes once in a while you have to say something, it could be said differently. You could explain that really in most cases it's fine. It's only over here that it bothers you. And so often people get stuck on that. And they don't know how to let things go by. And it's not easy. And to you it can feel like a big thing. And sometimes it's worth asking a third party, tell me, is this something I should tell you? Is it really important or is it nothing? And I always say, you know, you can't compare people's issues and say, you know, this issue you're dealing with is nothing because that person is dealing with something much bigger. That's obviously never an issue because somebody's hurt by something or somebody's dealing with a challenge. For them, this is a challenge, right? Somebody has a, a headache, is disturbing him, he's complaining about it. It doesn't help knowing that there are people in the cancer ward who are never, uh, you know, wrangling the final label. That's not the point. But sometimes you hear people say things that are really trivial and they simply need someone else to say, I hear what you're saying, I understand you. I'm telling you, don't say anything. You'll see. You'll gain from it. And I told this to many people this Shabbos. Talk to me about different things. You mean my wife, we didn't agree on this, about a child, about a thing, about that. I say, is that all it is? Yeah, everything else. That. <coughs> don't say anything. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. And when people hear it, they, you know, it makes sense. And sometimes you just have to apply it on your own. Let's go to secret number eight. And secret number eight is something I find, I find myself telling people quite often. A lot of times people come to me, I'm not sure if they're coming because they just need someone to agree with them that the situation is hopeless, or someone to validate that they're dealing with something that's just uh, not solvable. But very often, somebody will come and describe a situation and basically finish off this long uh, discussion that he just had with himself after an hour he's the time's up almost so there's nothing I can do about the situation right? <coughs> and I say no wrong 
Well, what do you mean? I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is going on for so long already. And I heard this many times. You'll ask someone, why don't you get help with a certain situation? This situation, I'm dealing with this for 25 years already. And therefore, sometimes people assume that a, a problem that's, that's happening over an extended period of time, it must be a problem that's not solvable. Or look, it's not going away. Well, it might not be going away on its own. Imagine if you tell a plumber, I have this leak, it's already leaking for 18 years, so there's probably nothing you can do about it. Why not? Because it's leaking already for 18 years straight. It didn't fix itself. Well, that's true. But almost every situation, and I'm saying almost just so nobody comes and attacks me, but I believe it's every situation. Every situation that you're dealing with, every challenge in life, every challenge in a relationship, there's something you could do about it. Not, so, not just is there something that could be done about it, there's something you could do about it. Now for, the, for people who wonder, yeah, I only counsel men. Now people ask me, Shalom uh, bias, only men? Or what kind, how does that work? Right? It's usually in a couple, um, both sides. And listen, I say, I don't know, I'm doing this for a while already, so maybe it's working. There's always something you could do to help a relationship. If you're in a, if you're in a relationship that's struggling in any area, there's always something you could do. Interestingly. Either you could be applying much more positive energy into the relationship, making someone else feel much better. Or you could become more confident and learn how to not be controlled. Or you could learn how to regulate certain situations that go on at home. You don't always need two people to agree to go for help even. You don't need two people to agree what the solution will be. You have to know, what could I do? And those are the people that get help. The people who come with a question, this is the situation, what could I do about it? I, very, I hate this all the time, people listen to my shirim or Torah anytime, and they tell me, you know, one thing you keep on saying is, what could you do? And yeah, people send me in questions, and I give answers, question answers here. And people know already, a lot of the questions are coming by email, people write, you know, this is the situation, what could I do? You always say in your shirim, there's always something you could do. And that's what it is. There's always something you could do about a relationship problem. So if somebody's mistreating you, the question is, what could I do if I'm being mistreated? It's not how do I deal, how, how could I get my wife to treat me better? No. What could I do? Remember, it's me. She doesn't want to go for help. Whoever told her she's doing something wrong, she runs away from them. Why are you sending her to people? What could you do? How could you say it? Remember, another secret. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. There's always something you could do. And people should never look at a situation and say there's nothing you could do. If something didn't work in the past, you don't have to try it again. If something didn't work till now, you, 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 could learn, you could learn from experience. You could try it twice. Okay, three times. Okay? But more than that, say a joke about the Chelemer guy. One Chelemer guy walked into a bar. A few minutes later, another Chelemer walks into the bar. Then another one, and a fourth one. They you, you think one of them would duck already. Right? All walking to the same pole. That's what happens when people see people making a mistake, and they all go and fall into the same ditch again and again. And people do it in their own life. People do it in their own life. They, they make one mistake, they make another mistake, and another mistake. And then they look back and say, look, I'm doing this for so long, it's not working. You're doing the same thing again and again. When are you going to change tactics? How many people talk about the chinuch of the children and say, I don't know, I'm telling my son the same thing again and again. It's not getting in. So what are you going to do? I once said this by Karaftuni. Ronnie Greenwald once said the story about a, a principal who was coming to complain uh, about this girl who was coming to school with her top button open. So they sent it to the principal. Now they go with top button open. So the principal coming to complain to Ronnie, Ronnie Greenwald, who's director of the school. He's saying the whole story. He said, okay, so what do you do? I, said, I told the girl she has to go home. Okay. Two days later, she comes again. Her top button's open. I call her and say, hello, so we don't keep the top button. You, know, you can't go with the top button. No, you have to go home. It's not sneers. And, and then what happened? I don't know. Two days later, she comes again with the top button open. So, and how long is this going on? So for three weeks already. And when are you going to realize it's not working? How many times are you going to do the same thing and realize it's not working? Instead of getting frustrated that I'm doing it again and again, it's not working, realize it's not working. This is not working. What can I do differently? 
I've been explaining to my wife all the time and she's not getting it. Stop explaining. Stop using logic. Maybe word it differently. Maybe, maybe stop harping on this issue. Maybe make her feel better. Maybe preempt the difficulty. Maybe learn from mistakes. There's always something you could do. And that's a secret people have to know. You could be dealing with a situation. You could have given up on something. Remember the secret. There's always something you could do to improve a situation. You don't need someone else to do it. And obviously, some of the things that you could do might take a little effort. It might depend on how you're feeling, how you're taking care of yourself, or if you're willing to apply the effort. You know, there's, there's definitely a lot of Mrs. food and a lot of nice ideas about avoid this You have to do it. You have to apply it. You have to make sure that you're up to it. But there's always something you could do. Sometimes you have to make sure you eat something before you come home, or you're well rested. Once Sometimes that's all you need. But figure it out. Don't come home stressed again and again and then blame your wife for not understanding how stressed you are. There's something you could do about it, do it. So that's secret number eight. Then the secret number nine. Secret number nine is something that whoever came over to me this Shabbos probably heard from me at the end of the discussion. Not in the beginning, but at the end of every discussion. Remember, it's all from the Ibishta and only with the Ibishta. And that's a very important thing. So often we hear things, so often we try things, and everything should be working. We're doing everything right. We're not, we're not debating, we're not arguing, we're saying things in the right time, in the right place. And we're, we're doing everything right and trying to understand and applying everything we learned, and it's not working. Now without the Ibish, that's not going to work. There's nothing you could do on your own that's going to work. Und der Ibish, der kann mir gar nicht. Man sagt ja vielleicht sagen, der Ibish, der will, 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 der You'll never succeed in anything, especially not building a bias name be And if you don't remember that, and you don't ask the Ibishta, and you don't have a mind by Shulam, and you don't remember that it's only with Siat that everything works, and you don't ask the Ibishta to make it work, it's not gonna work. And sometimes people will be doing everything right and, and waiting for things to happen, and it's not happening. Another important aspect of this little secret is like this. In the Sifra Khakira, there's a lot of different ways they try to prove as do Metziah Hashem. Right? Maybe by some, some speeches over here by Karaftuni, people are talking about these things that you don't hear about in Barra Park. Right? How do we know this do a Gata from Welt? Now, interestingly, a lot of the Haimish Shesvurim bring it here and there, actually. A lot of the Haimish Shesvurim bring it, here, bring it in Karzun from Fashid and the Sifra Chakira. And one of the things that was very gebrengt from the Kalmoinim is that nothing in the world, no two things could sink together without something on top of them. There's no two koiches working together, whether it's the, the, the zim and the levuna, whatever it may be. There's no two things working together without something on top of both of them. You see it everywhere in life, wherever two things are working in sync, wherever two things are working in an orbit or in a, two machines, there's always something on top of both of them that are holding them together. No two things will work, to, will, work, will work together by themselves without a higher koich. And therefore, if we see everything in this world, everything in this universe working together, there's a ray of Matthias Hashem. You see the same thing in the Yiddish Hashtib. Ish ve'isha. If there's, if there's working together, it's because shechina shriya benayam. It's because there's something on top of them. It's only when a relationship is bound to Torah and mitzvahs and shechanurach, it's the only way it's going to work. I've seen so many people try to challenge the way it's supposed to be in the hopes that things will get better and fail. Last year I was giving a Shulam Bayes course and hundreds of listeners, hundreds and hundreds of listeners that were dealing with problems in Shulam Bayes if they signed up for it which is all confidential, so nobody has to worry about. And I said it over there, and I said, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to challenge me. 
Any idea you'll get from any therapist, whether he's a Shemitah Mitzvah, will have not Chazor Shudam. And it's not in line with Shechanurech and Torah, the way a marriage is supposed to work. It will not enhance your marriage. I challenge anyone to tell me that they tried something that's not Ozgalton. That was the key, which I tell you, now we're living happily together. It's not true. It might work for a day, it might seem like it's working. I've seen this countless times, and it's simple to me. That if it's not Shechanurech Shri it won't be the Ishvish working together. For two things to work in sync, there has to be something on top of them. And it's only with the Achnur, Tzirut Nashem, that you can build the Yiddish Ashtib. And to have Emes Ashulam Bayas, and work together by Emes, and Shtelof Yiddish Ashtib, there has to be that commitment, and that Achnur, Tzirut Naboira. And one of the ways to have that, is to have Achnur, to Adas Torah. And so many issues would be resolved in the Yiddish Ashtib, if only we knew, who do we ask when we have a question? It's okay if we don't agree. Secret number three. It's okay if sometimes we have a disagreement. What do we do then? Well, we could work it out. We could discuss it. We could compromise. There's many ways to deal with challenges. But sometimes it will boil down to who do we ask to know who's in the Torah? Who's the Torah the Geveg? What's the right blick? Adas chuchem. If you don't have that in your life, you're going to get stuck again. I want to ask this one. Why are you asking him? Let's ask him. You always ask him because he tells you, hey, you want to hear? And I, I used to ask him, but then he told me this. And then my wife won't ask him anymore. What does that mean? The comes through Chachmaini. It comes through the Chachmador. If you're not bound to Adas Torah, no matter who it is, and he's willing to hear what you have to say. It doesn't have to be necessarily somebody who your father or your zaydu asked. That person's probably not around anymore. It can be someone who you understand, you trust, and someone who understands you. But it's somebody who's willing to tell you what the dance story is. And that's something that could definitely help the Ishvish Shri of Anayim. And that's secret number nine. No marriage will be successful without the Ayvishta, without the Siat Dashmaya, without the Achnu Atzum Secret number ten. I'll leave a secret. And the reason is, because like we started off, every marriage has their secret. It's not a secret that's not necessarily known, something you can't hear from anyone. It's not something that you never found out yet. It's something you may have not realized applies to you. And for me to keep on listing secrets, and people just hear a bunch of nice ideas, that's not what you need. You go home from Shabbos Karaftuni, and you talk to your wife, you talk to your husband, maybe we learn something, maybe we could try to apply something. What's our little secret? What will bring our relationship to the next level? What will bring us closer? What will bring the Shekhinah closer? What will bring our children closer? And that's the secret that Menayi Vishatilf will bring the ultimate Shekhinah Shekhinah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.